and welcome to the edition podcast. I'm Charlotte Henry and this week I'm joined by Chris Suffcliffe uh, from Media Voices, friend of the show, been on a few times now. I should say I want to make it clear as will become obvious in this conversation that I booked Chris bef- earlier like before we I knew some stuff that's going to come out in the show because well first of all hello Chris how are you? Yes very well thanks well also we should say the award-winning the edition at this point. Okay, well, you beat me to it. And I was, because let's be honest, I was not going to pretend to be modest in any way. No, I was going to go on, No, I was going to go on about it the whole show. But um, and the Media Voices team, including Chris, his colleagues, uh, Joanna, Peter and Esther, put on a fantastic event uh, the day before we were recording this, which was the Publisher Newsletter Awards. They do uh, the Publisher Podcast Awards as well, which I had the privilege of being a judge on. And I actually put the edition in the, to the best solo category uh, for these newsletter awards. And I was genuinely surprised, <laughs> but I won. And it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. And I was really thrilled because um, I've only been doing the edition, what, 15, 16 months, something like that. So it was really nice to, to get that kind of recognition from the lovely and very high caliber judges you roped into doing this. So <laughs> it was, I was really genuinely quite thrilled so thank you for putting on the event and I suppose I can't thank you for the win but thank I felt it was a I felt very uh chuffed about it and the, the only thing say, you need to thank me for is not spoiling it because yeah you were within <laughs> my line of sight as I was reading out the winners and uh yeah it was it took everything I had not to look over and grin <laughs> and I can thank you for the free beer as well which of course, was also yeah. <laughs> thoroughly enjoyable um no we had a great night there were some fantastic people in the newsletter industry there and that's what we really want to talk about the newsletter industry as a whole but I just, as I said I invited Chris on to talk about the event before I knew who any of the winners were so this could have been if I was less modest this would be <laughs> awkward but frankly I don't no. care well, <laughs> I mean you know we looking at the judges comments and everything your uh the addition was exemplified a lot of what they were looking for from the winners as a whole that direct relationship with audiences actually adding value to them you know as and when the uh the newsletter goes out so no it's like there was the the, ca- the caliber of all the entries was so high but I'm delighted you won because I yeah I feel like it really does exemplify some of the the best aspects of newsletters uh, and I did pay Chris to say that of but, course yeah yeah, uh, yeah. Cool, no but have a look I'll link to the list of uh, the winners, you can also see the shortlist on the Publisher Newsletter Awards website. Uh, as Chris said, the caliber of people that entered in every category. I know some of them because I read some of these podcasts, uh, sorry, some of these newsletters and know about many of the others. Uh, and Chris is right, the caliber is so, so high. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this because newsletters now, Chris, are not just a extra thing that the intern has to do compiling headlines to send out at the end of the day are they these no. are serious serious products that publishers are putting right at the center of their businesses i mean if you you only have to look at the number of places that are newsletter first now or even newsletter only to realize that they are right part and parcel of that entire editorial remit to speak directly to audiences and actually add value to them like i said um i was just looking back at the the best newsletter launch shortlist and everybody on there so new statesman uh big issue the atlantic they're all using newsletters as a way to speak to audiences as and when the audiences want. It's not, you know, it's it's not making people come and f- seek out the news. It's that sort of reciprocal relationship where you opt in to get this newsletter in your inbox and you can guarantee that you're going to learn something from that. 
so yeah to your point it's it's no longer just a nice to have it's a must have yeah i'm looking at something like jack kessler's evening standard newsletter which won um the west end final won the best end the best newsletter mm-hmm. and again that could in the old days be kind of lost in the ether of oh it's just the evening standard sending out some headlines yeah but no it's the paper's chief leader writer writing something in a distinctive voice that goes directly to readers i mean again another great example of that is evening blend from the spectator yep which won the best politics newsletter so on and so forth the all of these ones had a very distinctive voice as well you only have to look at somewhere like um axios where they're investing so heavily and they do include it's they they obviously have an editorial line that they they take but the voice of the author comes through so strongly and we were talking about that weird um intersection of podcast audiences and newsletter audiences yes. and how in a lot of ways they actually serve the same purpose which is building that um not parasocial relationship but that <laughs> direct you know line to the uh, to the author and, and well, I think I think in some ways with newsletters it is a bit of a parasocial relationship because that person sends you a message every day or every week, whatever the time frame is, and you kind of know when it's going to be there, and you like look forward. There are newsletters where you think, "Oh, I'm excited to know what so and so thinks about this this week." Um, and, and a great example, actually, you were talking about uh, publishers that sort of a newsletter first. Uh, our friends at Semaphore didn't enter, I don't think, but nope. uh, the Ankler, who I've had uh, the writer there, wake up, Sean on a couple of times on the show explaining the writer's strikes and so on. Uh, they won the best entertainment and culture newsletter, The Ankler. Now, obviously, they have numerous uh, newsletters The Ankler do, but that kind of exemplifies your point of being a pu- newsletter first publisher. That's how it started. Richard Rushfield started a newsletter and this company sprang out of it. So yeah. there's all sorts of ways to do it. And, uh, yeah, there was another thing that came out as well, and it might sound obvious, but we should say it out loud is that a lot of the newsletters that made the shortlists and won served some kind of purpose. Mm-hmm. And again, that I know that sounds obvious, but it's really important. They are providing a service in one way or the other to their readers. So the, you know, the B2B newsletter will have the opportunities. What is happening in the journalism industry? Yeah. The Ankler explaining to a, prime or premium audience what is happening in their industry you know the best fat you know the lifestyle ones the food and drinks one is obvious what service they're providing they're giving you recommendations in those fields but that that's really important it's not just sort of filling pixels for the sake of it it's got to achieve something absolutely and it's the the ones that didn't win and the ones that you know to your point earlier are just thrown together by an intern are the ones that effectively just take content that has been created elsewhere for the you know for the parent brand and they just repackage it in a way that doesn't have uh respect for the audiences the recipients time and actually why they want to get it in their inbox it's i can think back to what not even that long ago like five six years when some of the big national titles were effectively just doing that they were just repackaging their stories they were just dropping them in using the api to automatically fill the description box and that's not why people choose to opt in to sign up to subscribe and ultimately sometimes to pay for newsletters because that's not adding value they can just do that by going to the website it needs to be its own thing and to your point i think that all the winners this time actually came into it with that mentality with that ethos of we are going to deliver value in and of itself rather than you know using it to direct people to our site 
Yeah, I think that has been a really big shift. I've seen lots of newsletters where it's just, that's how it started, I think, this the newsletter thing. And obviously, I think the rise of Substack and things like that did change the dynamic mm-hmm. quite a lot. But there was initially newsletters, news publishers were like, okay, well, we've made a load of content. Some people are finding it over on social media. What's another way to do it? Oh, we'll spend 15 minutes a day compiling it into a newsletter that we send out to people and we get their data in return. Yeah. Well, to get people's data return, you do have to offer something. And that's been a real shift over the last couple of years. And I think that's really important. But it is funny to me in some ways that you and I said, you know, we had a great event last night. There was all sorts of very, very clever, high achieving people there, plus you and I. And then <laughs> there were, and then there was, you know, these all sorts of different conversations going on. You could eavesdrop in people discussing very interesting things. But ultimately, we're talking about email, yeah. this thing that like we thought was a pain and dying and no one wanted to deal with their inboxes anymore has now become this thing that is completely central to so many publishers. I find it quite funny, really. I think it might be because, you know, we lost sight of the fact that the inbox, like you said, it was, it's function. Um, It's just, you know, here's where you get missives, here's where you get messages. And we lost sight of the fact that it is a finishable you can complete an inbox in the same way that you can complete your well, email kind of, well if you're, yeah. she says looking at 1500 unread emails right, let me just let me just no, don't do it Chris. Contrast. don't do it no don't do it uh although you might make me feel better actually Forty-six thousand. Uh, okay yeah you've made me feel a lot better yeah. thank you but you know it's the emails themselves are digestible you know the best newsletters that i get whether that be the even the jobs newsletters like um sean meets williams one all of them are just these very well packaged, you know, one and done. You can complete this in a single sitting uh, roundup of either news or entertainment or recommendations. So we lost sight of the fact that emails, because of their of how limited they are as a form, we lost sight of the fact that often that's what people want. You know, mm. they, they want these kind of short little missives or even those kind of the longer form explainers that they know they can reach the end of and go, you know what, I've learned something now. I'm entertained by this. I do not need to then click on and go on an endless scroll through everything else to get the context. Yeah. First of all, you're absolutely right that podcasts are very good and newsletters both are good at providing context. Mm. And I think there's something you you made the comparison earlier in the show about how the audiences overlap. And I want to pick up on that a bit because I think there's a level of intimacy with both that gets lost across various platforms of social media i think some uh platforms are quite good at building intimacy so a tiktoker talking directly at you i think can still feel quite intimate mm-hmm. uh but obviously a podcast you're on your head got your headphones in it's going you know you're, that conversation is going straight into your ear. it's almost like you're part of the conversation very intimate um well done newsletters where you can feel like the author is speaking directly to you and has designed this message for you very intimate again and that goes two ways first of all obviously the producer of that content has to have respect for the the kind of space they're invading for want of a better phrase (laughs) um and respect that and respect the time and what the audience is giving to them and but equally it benefits the audience because it's more more personable and more direct so i think there is that overlap but as i say it still finds i still find it funny that like given that we can make 
beautiful multimedia blog posts with different bits of, you know, websites and, you know, video and audio and beautiful images uh embedded in and you can sort of make sure it looks how you want across all platforms you've got this format that like maybe looks slightly different if you're looking at it in a different type of inbox and it can be a bit clunky and yet people are like really enjoying having that connection with someone yeah no they definitely are and it, I was you mentioned blogging there and to some extent some of the best newsletters that we've seen are they they feel like a recreation of the blogs mm. from sort of like the early 2000s where you get somebody basically just pouring their personality out onto a page and sort of saying, well, you know what, here is what I think about this. I'm thinking about, you know, like uh, White Noise from Terry White or some of the winners from last time in the solo. Well, the, you obviously won the solo category, but some of the other shortlisted entries in the solo mm -hmm. category, the personality comes across so strongly and it does harken back to that age where, yeah, communication online wasn't a sort of blast, you know, mass broadcast model. It was somebody effectively writing for the individual not a huge audience and I feel like the best newsletters do that really really well and some of them I think stumble upon it accidentally just because of you know the the act of creating a newsletter does mean that you are thinking about yourself as the reader in a lot of ways so you are concentrating on the individual but yeah it's 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 less about you know to your point about TikTok it's less about that Twitter model of just like blast out to your entire you know thousands tens of thousands of people who follow you and more about concentrating on the, the people who are reading it as entities and in, as individuals in their own right. Yeah. And even, you know, we mentioned the Ankler. If you look through many of the winners, they have huge, huge, huge readerships, but can still make it. You might be writing to tens of thousands of people, but can still make the good writers of those huge newsletters could still make it feel like they're writing just for you. Yeah. Some of the people. So, in fact, we, Brummy Mummies from Reach. Oh, yes. Uh, Birmingham based. Um, but primarily about sort of parenthood. Can I just say, yeah. there were some exceptional newsletter names. Brummy oh, Mummies so was fantastic. great. There were some yeah. fantastic names. I'll have to go through. I'm, well, <laughs> I might go through the shortlist again to highlight some of the best. You should have given a, an award for the best title, I think. Well, absolutely. I mean, there was there were a couple that I picked up just because I was like, that's that's as much fun to say as it is to actually yeah, like Yeah, there were some exceptional like, names. Read. Um, I really liked uh, going out out from my London. Yeah, very good. Drink, very that was good. Great. Yeah. Um, some bake of them... on, bake off, pretty good. Yeah, that... <laughs> yeah that's great. Uh, and Secret Elves Club, obviously from Reach. Oh yeah, yeah, which yeah. is which took me. By I did actually when, I when you were reading out the shortlist for that best hobbies and special interest category. I did declare that the winner mm. just on the basis <laughs> of the name because there were some great ones. Anyway, yes. Look, back to the more serious point of like. You were saying that 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 Brahmi Mummies one, there's a few that like build that relationship, even if it's to a huge number of people. Yeah. And also they, you know, we were talking there about that intersection of podcast and newsletters. Brummy Mummies as a brand enters the podcast awards fairly regularly. And right. if you look at the actual crossover in terms of how they think about doing both, it's very similar. They're thinking about it in terms of um obviously Brummy Mummies, despite being from Reach they don't necessarily have a vertical outreach that's dedicated to this. So they're effectively creating ah. a new vertical within Reach to talk about this. And yeah, so they're we, thinking and about we should both say as an Reach. Extension. Yes, and we should say that Reach is one of the biggest publishers in the country. It's the uh, overall publisher, the Daily Mirror, for example. It's mm -hmm. a huge, many of the local websites you'll read will be Reach products. So there was Wales Online. Um, there's, is it Manchester Even News is still Reach, isn't it? Uh, yes. Have I got that one wrong? No, that is there. right, yeah. Many of the local, big local and smaller local brands will be rich products. So, um, 
Yeah, we so, have yeah. Lanks Live, for instance. Yeah. So that's a yeah, Lancashire-based newsletter that covers uh politics, news, everything really. Um, but that's from Reach as well. Yeah. Uh, so exactly. So they're kind of comfortable in this. My point is that they're comfortable in this space and, you know, drilling down into, you know, a specific community, i.e. I, mothers in the Midlands, mm-hmm. Birmingham area. Um, I'm going to be a bit controversial because we were, we were comparing blogging and newsletters. And I think definitely some of that blogger mentality has gone into newsletters. I don't think it's such a big surprise that many people who started their writing online journalism whatever you want to talk about it careers mm. have in some way got involved in newsletters i don't think that's a surprise at all no but there is so. i also i have started as you know the edition.net blog which connects to the newsletter and similar topics but it's quite a different you know they're shorter snappier things might share a trailer of a movie that i like quick reaction something like that it's different to the, and i think there is difference mm. because i like i can feel when i'm writing the different things there's a slightly different thing a, a different feel to it because you know first of all there's a flexibility in blogging still that you don't get with a newsletter everyone i spoke to last night we were all having ptsd about sending out newsletters with typos in oh god yeah the no, classic that's... you hit send two minutes later you see this typo just as you've hit send we, we have uh, the, the way we do the mini voices podcast is it goes past two sets of eyes and even then we still occasionally get a typo in there and you feel sure. so bad horrible and it's 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 so common and everybody does it and you can forgive it when anybody else does it but when you do it it's unforgivable you you in it for ages Stu, um and the my point was that like if you you spot a silly typo in a blog post quickly fix it yeah. no drama uh you want to update the story changes that's the other one i've had sent out a newsletter and the story has changed minutes after i've sent out the newsletter well on a blog you can just update the story yeah no problem and there is something nice about that i think the two work quite nicely in tandem and i, I really like doing both but there is a different feel and i wonder if given that newsletters in so many ways are a bit back to the future like <laughs> sending emails to people uh, am I too optimistic to think we're going to have a return of the rise of blogging as well? I know when The Verge a couple of years ago, eh, maybe it was about a year ago, relaunched their website, one of their, uh, Neelai Patel, the editor there, was like, we kind of realised we missed blogging, so that's yeah. what we're doing. I wonder if, as a sort of accompaniment to this rise in newsletters, we'll get a bit of a resurgence, a renaissance in blogging. I suppose then the question is, where would that live? You know, because in the old days of blogging, you could sign up to dedicated blogging platforms. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, MySpace, dearly missed may MySpace. May yeah, rest in peace. Exactly. Had, um, it, it, one of its primary forms was the ability to, to publish blogs and, you know, diary entries and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now I don't know. I think that the platforms where you can do that is your Substacks. You know, so Sub- it's, yeah. which by design is mostly newsletter focused. Um, and so I don't know. I feel like we, we need a, a dedicated blog spot or something to come back in order to kind of really cater to the the return of blogs. Well, here's an interesting Substack obviously um introduced notes. Yep. Which sent Elon Musk around the bend and he destroyed his relationship with sub Twitter's relationship with Substack, which was really stupid because it just means people are not putting content to Elon Musk them. doing something stupid. It just reduced the amount of content going to Twitter. Anyway, but <laughs> notes everyone was like oh this is Substack's Twitter competitor mm. and then when I looked at it I was like 
it's kind of its blogging platform. Yeah, it is. Because you can write, I don't know what the character limit is, but you can write a decent sized entry, but not something you might want to put, uh, just a thought, not something you might want to send straight to someone's inbox, but that it complements your newsletter. Yeah. So I think notes on Substack could be a blogging platform. The other thing that's interesting, of course, is WordPress, which is the prime blogging platform for most people. Yeah is incorporating all sorts of substack like tools into it. So there's now a uh, paywall functionality in WordPress. There's now newsletter functionality in WordPress. Uh, and it just it's sort of everything is colliding into one. So I wonder if something like WordPress taking on those tools will be the way that you sort of have the blogging and the newsletter element all in one place. Potentially. Yeah. But you know who, who might do it and it's almost a sleeping giant at the moment is LinkedIn. Um, You've said are... this to me before, and I've rolled my eyes at you at least three times. <laughs> but they're so they're launching out that you know they they are making B place to be the home of B two B influencers or you know business influencers. Never, if well, you ever want to come back on this show again, never use the phrase B two B influencers. Fair enough. But they or are thought leaders. Thought leaders will also I've get you an automatic ban. Leaders. I've never said thought leaders or digital get out. But then there's um, <laughs> but they're they're putting so many resources into that. And I feel like it's only a matter of time before they, you know, they already have payment systems for people who are writing on there. They're a bit sure. nascent at the moment. Nobody knows. So if we're talking about the collision of blogging and newsletters and actually, you know, firing off missives as and when you want, probably LinkedIn is one we should look to for. You know, it's still got that reputational aspect that needs to be overcome because, to your point, some of the shite that gets written on there is just appalling. But, you know, it, it, all it takes is a critical mass of normal people to get on there and start writing normal stuff that's entertaining and not just absolute tribe. And then we've potentially got ourselves a competitor. Yeah, I mean, I think probably competition. I know we could have a whole conversation about how disparate everything has become on different platforms threads obviously the new one that's getting people excited and i rather like um but actually email as i'm saying that i'm thinking newsletters actually a really good way of consolidating things because mm. you don't have to worry have i posted it on twitter have i posted it on facebook have i posted it on linkedin have i done the instagram post actually you sent it straight to someone's email inbox it's well, very things, consolidated in one place. Yeah. One of the things that we do probably we do need to acknowledge though with newsletters is that um there are still issues that need to be sorted with them. So yes. Slack has made an attempt to fix discoverability. You can argue about whether it's been successful or not in that. But for the most part, newsletters, because of you know privacy, because of how you actually people find you and your brand, they do require a little bit of seeking out initially. So the the actual hassle gap of signing up to a newsletter is still relatively high. So mm -hmm. That's one of the problems that we, I was talking to people last night and, you know, the, those with the benefit of a big parent brand who can, you know, do cross promotion and all this, they were saying, yeah, that's still an issue for us. So God knows what it's like for the smaller people who are just kind of starting off solo. Difficult. Yes. <laughs> Painful. Yeah. No, but it's, a really, it. it, it's a really important point because first of all, it's hard to, first of all, let anyone know your newsletter exists. Second of all, the barrier to get someone to give you their email address mm. is still quite high. Like it's a big, relatively big commitment in digital terms for someone to even give you your their email address for free. Yeah. And then if you want to generate revenue to get them to then upgrade to a paid newsletter is another higher barrier. Now, that barrier in some ways has very good uses because it demands quality. 
it demands consistency. You can't just do click. You can. It, it doesn't really encourage clickbait in the same way as SEO and blogging to try and get as much ad revenue does. Mm. So it it is different, but it is hard work to get people to sign up to your newsletter. And that actually, um, not to either big myself up or blow smoke up your backside, um, but award winning the edition, <laughs> right? But I was so pleased that you made a solo award category because all those people on that shortlist, and I can assume some of the people that didn't make it on the shortlist as well. I know some of the people on the shortlist that I was on. Mm -hmm. And those people have grinded, grinded, grinded to build something. And I think that's a really core part of what newsletters are. And I'm really glad that that, whoever had won in that category, that it was as a whole kind of acknowledged because yeah. it's it's a really important thing. And like, as you say, if you're part of a big brand, parent brand, you can drive people to sign up. But like starting from zero by yourself, it's really ask any of those people on that shortlist how hard it is. And so I'm glad everyone on that shortlist was sort of acknowledged because it's there's brilliant work going on there. Well, it's, it was it was interesting, a conversation I didn't necessarily expect to have um, as many times as I did last night was just this people people were happy that newsletters were getting recognized and the work that goes into them yep. was getting recognized because they feel like even you know if they do have a big parent organization that it's still often an afterthought you know they don't get broken out for awards for recognition they they get sort of recognized internally yeah. as part of a wider strategy but certainly not on their own right and so i was i was really taken aback by how many people felt like um that it, there's still a record there needs to be more recognition of the work that goes into them and the value they drive and that's like i said that's that's when you have the benefit of a parent brand for solo newsletters. I mean, God say we, there are three of us and it's so much work. And Absolutely. often it feels like screaming into the void. Um, you know, we're, we're delighted every time somebody replies with, you know, thoughts on what we've said, because it proves that people are reading and we can see the open rates, but that's sort of a, it's a very blunt metric in a lot of ways. And it doesn't speak to the kind of that qualitative feedback that we need. So God only knows what it's like for, you know, well, you know, the kind of the individual. I'm just going to cry in a corner. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Um, so yeah, I do. I think that's important. Where where is this all going then? We've I've slightly half joked about the sort of renaissance of blogging. I there's always this thing, and it happened with podcasts. Mm. You know, there's always a slight joke of oh, everyone's got a podcast. Are we moving to that? Oh, everyone's got a newsletter. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we're at peak newsletter yet. It's not. <laughs> so, it's definitely not saturated. But because you know, I, th I feel slightly. Um, more confident about newsletters than I do about podcasts. Podcasts Ooh, by I'm very positive about podcasts as well. Oh no, me too. I just mean in terms of everybody having one. Because with okay. podcasts there are certain genres that outperform. And so you see like for for whatever reason, you know, Christian podcasts are still far and away the most popular genre, sure. followed then by like true crime. Whereas people's newsletters that we see are just they're everything. But I also think there's a slightly lower barrier to entry in some ways oh, yeah. to, to newsletters than podcasts. Because for podcasts, people are still like, how do I get it up on the internet? How do I, what microphone do I need? Does, yeah. Like, how do I edit? And most people don't know how to edit audio. Lots of people can write a few, set up a substack, write a few paragraphs, add the picture with their tools and press send. Yeah. It's, so there, yeah, you're there's right. a lower it's, barrier entry to that. No, certainly. But again, in the same way that, you know, with podcasts, you need a unique voice. The same is true for newsletters. And I feel like it's 
it helps that people write they tend to write in their own voice whereas with podcasts people do sort of um try to emulate what they've heard elsewhere oh we so, all have a podcast voice you and i don't sound I'm like using, this I'm at using all my off. podcast voice oh, right yeah, now you and i sound I don't like joe sound... otherwise and then yeah, yeah you and i don't sound like this at all <laughs> off air you had uh, a very uh, good presenter voice last night as well by the way thank you very much yeah so, there was um are we feeling positive that this is moving forward and that discoverability is going to get better because that's a, the two problems with newsletters mm. discoverability and monetizing yeah because you either have to put like you put ads in which i don't have any problem reading ads and newsletters i put them into my own but i know people always get twitchy not realizing that like publishing stuff actually costs money and has to be paid for yeah or same goes with subscribe if you don't subscriptions and you know a bit like streaming people are like how many more of these things can i pay for yeah and you know discoverability is really difficult particularly for solo creators because you're either relying on the old social media platforms a bit of seo but seo is really not doing much for newsletter discoverability no and i you, you don't and you kind of have to be a big superstar already so everyone goes you know comes and finds you yeah so those are the two issues that need to get fixed by the time you do the newsletter awards next year how confident we'll get on it. Yeah, yeah how confident are you that that can happen monetization i'm more much more confident about okay i feel like there are people are um habituated now to paying for the stuff that they want from you know individuals there's still that uh to your point that you're basically competing with everyone else for subscription revenue you know there are still the piece of research that I remember reading, uh, which has held up over the past couple of years, is that people tend to have four subscriptions. One is a general news subscription. One yeah. is a um, Netflix. Uh, so, yeah, and one is a sort of specific news system. And then they have a fourth one, which typically, typically is like Spotify or something like that, another entertainment one. But I feel like people are making allowances now for individual newsletters, particularly in our sort of our world and our sphere. But I know that there are some of my friends, for instance, subscribe to um, you know Manchester Mill. Yep. And they, they, so I feel like there is this growing awareness now that this is a viable way of getting news, information, entertainment, and that it's worth paying for. Discoverability, I feel like, is going to be an endemic issue for the next couple of years, bare minimum, if it ever gets solved at all, because it is such, to your point, it's such an uphill slog, and the there are perver- there are disincentives to some of the platforms to actually highlight solo creators mm. because they don't necessarily get as many um, subscribers and so they can't take as big a cut of the revenue if they feature them there's an opportunity cost there because they're not featuring one of the bigger ones so it's a real it is a real issue here where we have to either i don't know we need somebody who understands what it is like to do a solo newsletter to come in and you know boost it you know like farah stories is doing with substack for instance or we need a complete reinvention of discoverability across the entire internet and yeah. that is, <laughs> that we, is it needs to be that you don't have to be famous yeah. to already have a big newsletter yeah i, I, I think, think that's how many that's how many, part of the problem how many really really good ones that actually do deliver a lot of value have flamed out because they didn't get an audience in time and the the writer couldn't could, couldn't sustain themselves yeah i mean and we could spend a whole other conversation about talking about burnout and the commitment the individual writer has to make. To yeah, quality is no out, guarantee of success, unfortunately. Keep putting out the content every week, day, week, whatever, mm. to keep an audience going. Well, it's been a real pleasure to kind of do a tour around the world of newsletters. I think we're both feeling confident about that they're going to keep growing. They're yeah, really certainly. About yeah. It. yeah, I mean, we're, we're confident about it. You know, we can see our own subscriber growth. It's slow, but it's going. Good. So I feel like there's... 
in terms of actually the amount of investment that's gone into newsletters over the past year speaks to how you know how successful they will be in the coming years we're only at the foothills of what is possible still yeah so yeah i'm 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 excited to see what comes down the pipe very good and well done for spending a whole episode and not mentioning ai oh i know well done it's it's no? so rare we've done it i'm i'm doing a um a, a panel later today and I, I can feel already that ai is going to come up all the time so i'm uh, yeah I, I appreciate this yeah we're an ai we've been an ai free zone lovely um chris where can people keep up with you they can find me and Media Voices at Voices.media or at Media Voices Pod. And if they want to follow me specifically, I'm at Chris M. Sutcliffe on Twitter or I'm at Chris Sutcliffe on Threads and uh, Blue Sky. Very good. And stick him out on Twitch as well because it's quite fun watching him play video games. <laughs> um, also should say that uh, the Media Voices team, you've got a special run of your podcast going at the moment, haven't you? We do. So we've been doing Big Noises, which is our basically Peter, my co-host and um, and co-founder, decided that he was as much fun as it is to talk to people often. They tow the party line a little bit too much and they, you know, they have to check with the company about what's possible to say. So Peter decided he was just going to talk to people who are unfiltered and unchained. And so Big Noises really has been about chatting with some of the, the people who have no filter. Peter Houston causing trouble. Whoever would have thought it? I'm no, I, at, know. <laughs> I know. I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter, of course. Um, at, I think I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on Threads as well and Instagram. You can find me anywhere at Charlotte A. Henry or at Charlotte A. Henry if you so desire. And uh, Chris told me before the show because I'm award winning, <laughs> the rules are you have to sign up to the newsletter. That's true. That's it's, how it it's works. The so law you, now, yeah. Yeah. That is how it works. So you need to head over to newsletter.theedition.net if you're not already signed up there. And I greatly appreciate all the support. If you're already signed up, you know, why not celebrate my win with a little paid subscription? That would be nice, wouldn't it? Keep the show That's on the road. Totally fair. Totally fair. Keeps the show on the road. But joking <laughs> aside, really appreciate all the support from listeners and readers to, that have helped the edition grow. And we'll be back with another episode of this podcast next week. 